Welcome, everyone, to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Okay, Jonathan, Amanda, how fun to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. This month, we're talking about how we love. And it just occurred to me as, I guess, I think about this quite often, how love is so misunderstood, right? It's sloppy. It's messy. It is compelling. It's discouraging. It's a lifeline. It's so many things. But in the context of our relationship and your story with rest, we have unpacked this very discussion. Mm -hmm. And I have walked alongside of you through some really complex times. So Amanda, we'll start with you. I met your mom and dad at the Cancer Center for Healing, and they were my patients. Yeah. I actually remember the day that mom saw you for the first time. I think I was here that week, and she kind of snuck off and did it. And then not long later, you came out with her, and you were like, there's a daughter here. I've got to meet her. And I just knew that something good was going to happen. And so in the months that followed, one by one, all eight of us came into relationship with you and started working and yeah, our family was transformed. And that concept of how we love and really unpacking how you loved yourselves, how you loved each other, how you loved as a family, especially your mom really having to face the sunset of her life. Looking back, looking within, looking around and saying what we would all say wow, what was good, what was wrong, what was, what could have been better. And she just rolled up her sleeves and went right to work and was fearless. She and your father were mm-hmm. fearless. And the consequence of that has been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Just as you said that, I remembered her last Christmas sitting around at a place that we had rented in Newport Beach and actually having a conversation about our attachment styles. And it was, I just remember sitting in that conversation and all of us talking about that. And it like, it felt surreal. I was like, it was incredible and mom engaged. And you hadn't had a conversation as a family like that. No, we, no, absolutely not. And it was just really opened us up to know each other more intimately. And I mean, we had no idea what was around the corner. It's hard not to cry. It's hard for a myriad of feelings not to rise up. Mm -hmm. Because to some extent, you think, okay, a compliant or a pleaser, a vacillator, a controller, okay, they grew up in a home perhaps where there was a measure of, well, life wasn't safe, I'll say, with a compliant victim, controller, child, because it wasn't safe. Things were unpredictable enough that they wondered what was going to happen next. And it makes life very unstable. And of course, the vacillator, there's just abandonment in the home of a vacillator. Somebody's 
just gone or both gone all the time for whatever reason, right? And then we have the pleaser and the ring finger. And the pleaser just grew up in a home where parents were hypercritical, hypervigilant, and just fear-based home. Mm -hmm. So the child wants to please. Mm -hmm. By the way, I just want to remind everybody that the pleaser and the compliant child or the victim child are almost the same person, except the pleaser has a, a boundary with abuse. They just, there'll be a measure of characteristics in another relationship that will be not acceptable and they'll just disappear one day. They're, they're quiet about it, but that'll be it. And then of course we have the avoider and with eight children, right? All kinds of attaches, attachment styles pop mm -hmm. up in a family. But the fruit of all that work had significant consequences in your life. And I'm glad we have Jonathan here, your husband, to discuss that with us. But what was the most significant consequence of that work in your life? And of understanding each other's attachment styles, right? Mm -hmm. Without attacking each other, but taking responsibility for yourselves. What was the fruit of that? Oh, man. It was powerful and profound. I think initially there was just a measure of compassion that we had for each other. And then that transitioned into our marriage, learning how we had attached and then how we were looking for love in each other uh, had profound impacts. You were able to quickly detect how you sabotaged each other, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How difficult was it to catch yourself, regulate, and say, I didn't mean to say that, or I wasn't thinking that, or th that came across this way. But how much compassion were you able to extend yourself and catch yourself and say, can I have a do-over? How often were you able to do that? Oh, I think we did it all the time in the beginning. Did and we you? still do it. Yeah, it was pretty common at the very beginning. But yeah, we do do it now as well. We think of love and happy ever afters. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with cancer, end-of-life realities, it's a beautiful thing to see that everybody can identify these shortcomings in themselves without shame and how you can become patient and extend grace to those in the family that are going through the same thing, right? Trying to figure out, how did we get here? How did all this become so messy? Because in dealing with end-of-life things, right? Not only, like you just mentioned, Amanda, does this have consequences in your marriage? Because you start thinking, holy cow, wait a minute. All these dynamics were in our family, and they were kind of buried. But now it has consequences in my husband. But then you got to come right back and deal with the reality of losing mom, Mm -hmm. And dad has cancer too, by the way, right? Yeah. Had cancer at the time too. That can be really confusing. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think it, especially initially, at times felt overwhelming to have this awareness and without the competency. So there was a lot of giving ourselves grace of, and at times I would describe it like I felt like a toddler. Like I have these awarenesses, but I don't, have the tool set yet, or I'm not skilled yet to navigate them all or to regulate. 
wow, if we could take that into everyday life always and forever, we would be so much kinder to ourselves and each other. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Jonathan? Because you had to watch this, live it, watch your wife go through this, watch your in-laws, watch all of your in-laws, and then yet apply these things to yourself. And how did all that impact you? Yeah, it was life-changing for me. I think if I recall correctly, the first thing that we learned from you was how we love. And I remember taking the test and seeing that I was a vacillator and or showing up as one. And I didn't like that at first. Then what you just mentioned about removing the shame from it, one thing that was super helpful that we implemented was the soul words. And she was a star at it. I mean, she would always ask me when I was feeling angry or what, or whatever, if she just noticed that I my emotions were dysregulated, she would say, can you give me two soul words? And so I'd give two soul words and that would really shed light and remove a lot of the shame of, okay, this is how I'm showing up with my attachment love styles. It changed relationships and opened up doors with all of your siblings, mm-hmm. ones that I would feel maybe inferior to and just shy away from because of their strong personalities. I suddenly had confidence to speak up and understand how they love, how I love, and it changed me profoundly. And then the fruit of that in my own family as well mm-hmm. has just be- begun to blossom. It's transformational. It is. Mm-hmm. It is transformational. In our modules, and you've both been been to every single class I think I've had. (laughs) You guys have been to every single online class. But working through those modules is really helpful to implement the complexity of not just how we love, but all the other things that we bring to bear in rest and in healing. And the modules came pretty much quite several years after yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I appreciate what you just said, Jonathan, because now we have coursework, we have stuff online, we meet every two weeks, there's community to discuss these things. But back then, we didn't have any of it. Mm-hmm. But all of you independently became dependent on each other mm-hmm. to really do the work, but at least have a place where you could show up yeah. and mm-hmm. say, how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. I just want to interject the thought. Feelings emote. I say this all the time. Feelings are a function of the soul, the mind, the heart, the will, the conscience. That's where you negotiate feelings. But what emotes is rarely what you feel. Jonathan, you want to talk about that? (laughs) That was a big one that took me a while to grasp. And now that I have an understanding of that, when I notice the emotions that I'm feeling— It's, okay, where is this emotion coming from? What's the thinking? What's the feeling that's going on? Yeah, because it's the emotions you're projecting. Mm -hmm. And you have to take a minute to identify what you feel. Mm -hmm. So I noticed one huge learning for me with around anger was a feeling of sadness. Sadness of that, you know, maybe life wasn't the way that I had thought it was going to be. Maybe even bitterness. But that was a a big aha moment, a big revelation when I realized the 
that the feelings then produces the emotion from the brain. And people, we often attribute character deficits when there's in fact all these imbalances that come from these reactivities that we're emoting when in fact we can't, those can be so distracting, we never get to the heart of the matter. Mm. Talk about that. What is the heart of the matter? The heart of the matter is how we navigate and process those feelings. But when you're watching your in-laws struggle to potential deaths Mm -hmm. or certainly brutal healing process, it destabilizes your own marriage. You guys were out here several times a year. Mm -hmm. It destabilizes your own relationships. I always talk about the beauty in the ashes from grave to gardens. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful thing to watch so much darkness in a family, so much compounded, so many neglected feelings, mm-hmm. so many misunderstood emotions, yes. so much confusion, chaos, and dis-ease. And to, for everybody to step into a place, you too, Jonathan, mm-hmm. where you were able to see the demise, the destruction, all the graves, the things that have been lost and misunderstood, and you can look at that, but... Rest really facilitated seeding that same space, that same territory, that same terrain, and you seeded it with new ideas, and you plucked a lot of weeds, and we saw amazing Mm. gardens grow, not only individually in all of your souls, but in your marriage. Mm -hmm. And now how you parent your children. I see the fruit of that. It's amazing to witness. When you bring up the gardens, the analogy that comes to mind was one that you shared with me a few months into the process as we were kind of navigating some of the messiness. And you had given me the analogy that our family had a a bunch of gardens. And mom and dad had the plot of land and they had their garden. And then as we each grew up and became independent, we each had our own garden to tend. And she's, uh, Virginia, you shared that we should be tending our own gardens and not each other's gardens. And that as we, we can walk around and admire, you know, one sibling may plant a beautiful rose garden and another sibling may have a wildflower garden. Another sibling may have a bunch of weeds in an overgrown garden that they don't really tend. Or fruit or watermelon. Yeah. (laughs) They could do a vegetable garden. Uh, And but we are free to enjoy and see what's going on in each other's lives. But it's our own garden. Exactly. I didn't, I didn't remember that. And to give from your abundance, right? Because you're not all going to have the same thing. Uh-huh. I forgot I said that. Yeah. It yeah, was, that's beautiful. I thought, oh. It was in great. one of the really messy times where things were feeling we had learned and grown and were feeling more equipped and people were still struggling. It was still difficult to navigate. And that those toddler feelings of like, I kind of understand some of this and I don't feel super competent in my execution. And you shared that analogy with me and it has had a profound impact. I shared it with my siblings and I often share it with people and the feedback I get is, wow, Okay, that's super helpful. It was a beautiful thing to watch your mom and to be in the room Mm. as everyone said their last goodbyes. 
And it was such a beautiful day. It was such a beautiful moment. Bittersweet, of course. We never want to let each other go. But she really did leave a legacy. Uh, She left many seeds. Mm -hmm. And she left a beautiful landscape for all of you to continue to draw from. And you've all impacted my life so greatly. And it's such an honor to have you here. And you ours. Well, you took these principles and you said we need a day of rest here in the community. And I've always talked about expanding the community of rest. But to heal the hemorrhaging heart of this nation, what we needed to do was expand this message in the context of small groups, spheres of influence, among structures of authority, and communicate these principles because it can be transformative in a company, in a hospital, in an institution of any kind, certainly in a family, and of course in a life. That's my favorite. But the principles are all the same. But Jonathan, you and Amanda were just absolutely diligent and faithful in bringing this message to so many people. The consequence and the investment of your family has literally impacted thousands of people. But you specifically organized gatherings. Share with everyone the fruit of the first gathering. Who wants to go first? It was amazing. It was a day of rest. Mm -hmm. What comes to mind is two of our friends uh, that, we invited they're really close friends of ours and the what they walked away from their their seeds that that we talked about during the day of rest we are seeing that transform and unfold in their lives where there was so much turmoil both of them that comes to mind is around work um, in their own jobs they were able to reconcile conflicts in themselves and take take liberty in their own soul. And they have just so much more freedom now. They're not there yet, and that's okay. They know that as well. Uh, they have the tools. But they have the tools. Mm-hmm. We, You gave them the blueprint, and they're going and, and building off of that. It's a, I love that word, blueprint. we got to remember that, Jonathan. Blueprint. It is the blueprint for mm. freedom and healing. We don't chase a cure, we chase healing. Mm -hmm. It is the blueprint for healing and freedom. Yeah. And I would say, too, that first day of rest that we hosted, a significant thing that comes to mind is I'm thinking down, that was what, just a little over a year ago now, that already from one individual, the impacts in extended family that have already begun to trickle down and impact. And I've, I've never experienced anything like that as people pursue healing and growth. Often it stays with the individual. Oh, that's really well said. It was a patient at the clinic that said, you know what you do? You work with a family, you work with a person, but you heal a family yeah. because the principles, principles are life-giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that that's been my experience. And not just in our own family, but I'm watching it happen 
to extended family and watching it happen in John's family and watching it happen in family of families. And it's powerful. It is powerful. It's encouraging. We can turn the confusion, chaos, and disease of this generation around in one generation. Absolutely. 100%. I want to do another segment with both of you because you've taken the beauty, the complexity, I should say, that comes with healing in the life of your family, Amanda, in the life of your marriage with Jonathan and raising children, but you've both been so intentional in bringing it to your sphere of influence as well, and the consequences have been significant. And when you heard me say about expanding this, and it has to be taken into communities of rest, because the problems we're facing are too serious, and they need to be done in, I always say, community, right? But we're developing language for this thing that you're doing. But Jonathan, I know you both have the brains the resources, and the passion to scale what we're talking about. Many people listening are thinking, oh, it's not as easy as you guys make it sound. My mom is so angry. My dad is so bitter. My sister is so irrational. But I want everybody to know, and I'll let each of you give me a closing statement, that what we're talking about is work that you do within yourself. And the fruit of it will be so compelling to those around you that they may be angry, they may spew venom, but they will walk away and wonder, Mm -hmm. who does she think she is? And they will be either so negative because they're so convicted (laughs) that they'll at some point say, why am I being so vile? She didn't do anything. Or the light that comes from the fruit of your work will be so compelling to them that they just want what you have. But if you can be safe and if the work, the independent work that you do really expands that message, that light, that peace that comes with freedom, you'll be very approachable and you will begin to change things in your spheres of influence. But that's what you each individually and together did. And you certainly did it as a family. And what more beautiful way to love is there than to examine yourself, reconcile the conflicts within yourself without blame, shame, and extend yourself grace and others mercy it's just there's nothing more compelling or more powerful than that because that is what it is to love well Mm -hmm. closing thoughts amanda and jonathan yeah closing thoughts that i have is um, i'm going to borrow this from a friend of ours oftentimes it takes two people to to make a relationship kind of go sour but it takes one person fully committed to reconciling the conflicts that are within themselves to be able to, to bring healing and transformation to that relationship. And it may not look exactly the way that you want it to. And the healing that you can bring is profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And I would say 
as you're talking, I see that garden analogy. I can tend my own garden and it can be inviting to others. And as they're interested in, in what I'm doing over there, I can share. And uh, there's so much freedom in that. That analogy, I'm so glad you shared it with us again, because it is, is there anything more beautiful than to look at a garden mm-hmm. or at a landscape that's being tended to? And is there anything more stressful <laughs> than looking at a piece of land that has just been neglected? So perhaps that's how we need to look at the life of our heart. Graves to gardens. Graves to gardens. (laughs) Look up that song, YouTube, Graves to Gardens. Thank you, guys. We'll pick this up again a little bit later and discuss what we're doing to bring this to everyone. Thank Thank you, you. Virginia. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next Friday.